Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take a moment to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you tune in. It really helps more folks find us and helps us to continue to get this message out there. Also, don't forget to check out occultlondon.co.uk to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra supportive, consider backing us on Patreon or you can find us on Buy Me A Coffee. Every little bit goes a long way in keeping this show alive. A heartfelt thanks for all of your kindness and support to those who have already supported us in this way. Now let's dive into today's episode. In today's episode we are starting a new series talking about the history and some of the symbolism of magical talismans and amulets. The word talisman and amulet brings to mind many different pictures, ideas and stories. They remind us of old legends and these magical items like the golden fleece from ancient Greece and the sacred eye of Horus. But what do these words really mean and how have they been used in magic over time? In this series we're going to be exploring these questions closely and we will start by understanding in this introduction really the kind of purpose of talismans and amulets in magic. And then we'll move more into some of the history, some interesting examples from different magical traditions and hopefully try and find out some of the stories behind these important objects. Our journey begins with a look at humanity's first ventures really into the world of magic, discovering the rich history and traditions of ancient societies such as ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, Rome. We'll then move beyond the confines of the Western world and we'll travel far to the Far East, which is a region known for its very much uniquely nuanced interpretation of this magical art form. And then we'll then continue to look at the magic of the Arabic world, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance and also the modern period and really try to kind of untangle some of the different strands that link these magical objects to different religions and magical traditions and obviously most importantly how can we learn from these magical traditions and how can we kind of bring some of that magic into our own lives. As our exploration unfolds one thing becomes clear And that is that the prevalence of talismans and amulets really goes beyond the boundaries of primitive societies and really permeates many aspects of human life, taking on many different forms from religious medallions to the shards of sacred bodies. And also in this exploration, we're going to have a look towards the future, considering how technology and talismanic magic can connect in magical practice. When we think about talismans and amulets, we encounter a lot of different definitions. 
a magical talisman or an amulet fundamentally really acts as a tangible object that stores and channels mystical or magical energy. This enchanted object is really designed to strengthen the wearer or holder or also bring about transformative effects in their life and bringing in change. And although amulets and talismans are similar in their functions, historically they have played quite different roles. So by its design, a talisman functions as a magnet for favourable or positive energies. It attracts positive influences such as luck, money, love, etc. towards the person that wears it. And in contrast, an amulet is normally considered to have more of a protective or a defensive posture. So it shields its wearer from harm danger, sickness, etc. Also things like the evil eye and almost acts more like a kind of guardian to the person who wears the amulet. And we can see these differences in function if we look at the, the kind of etymological roots of the terms themselves. So the word amulet originates from the verb, the verb amelori, meaning to ward off or to protect. So you can see in that word it's emphasising its inherent role in repelling malicious forces. On the other hand, the word talisman traces back to the Arabic term tilsam, and before that the Greek word telesma, which really kind of denotes these ideas of completion and reward, so generally more kind of positive attraction type things rather than protection. And when we look at the different the nature of talismans and amulets, we can kind of shed light on their significance and their symbolism and their power and tracking it through you know many different cultural contexts. And the magician Israel Regardi gives us a really helpful definition of what a talisman is, as well as the differences between talismans and amulets when he writes the following. A talisman is any object sacred or profane with or without appropriate inscriptions or symbols charged or consecrated by means of appropriate ritual magic or meditation. Amongst other things exerts an auto-suggestive effect on the wearer. It is made to serve a specific end to bring good fortune in some area of life or to achieve some specifically named goal. An amulet is in effect no different save that as a charm it is supposed to be worn for protection against disease, sickness, ill fortune or witchcraft. And that's a quote from Israel Regardi. And if we look at history Throughout history, talisman amulets have really been a key part of different cultures and traditions um, spanning many, many centuries. They're normally constructed from different materials. So we have talismans made of metal, paper, gemstones, herbs, and also other natural substances. 
And these sacred items gain their potency through dedication to a specific magical intent or objective. And we'll be doing an episode on magical intent in the future. Often they are meticulously created and crafted by occult practitioners. And it's thought that these kind of holy objects act essentially as containers for a particular magical intention, invoking the influence of divine powers, archangelic forces, angelic beings or other heavenly or planetary energies. The talisman or amulet serves as a bridge between the personal will of the magician, which we can think of as being the microcosm, and the divine will, symbolising the macrocosm. And these mystical objects carry an essence which you can almost think of it as being almost like a sentient being or even like a an entire universe with you, the magician, as being the creator of that world. And whilst they operate in the material realm, they also function as gateways providing access to the spiritual realm. As Israel Regardi wrote, a talisman is a symbol of the will, and when we create one, we are focusing our energy and intention into a physical object that can be used to manifest our desires. The occultist Dion Fortune also writes about talismans and kind of expands a bit on what Israel Regardi said. She also underscores their vital role played by the energy that is infused within them by the magician when she wrote the following. It is not the talisman that is doing the work, but the energy that has been put into the talisman. Miracles do not happen if, by a miracle, we understand an arbitrary interference with the natural sequence of cause and effect. Magic, in my experience, always works through natural channels, its efficacy lying in the increase of energy that it causes to flow in those channels. If you make a talisman for wealth, you will not find a shower of golden sovereigns falling around it, but you may, and very probably, will find that opportunities for increasing your earning power will come your way, provided your temperance is sufficiently energised to enable you to take advantage of them. You will, by means of the normal channels, achieve prosperity, the normal channels being sound judgement, adequate skill and hard work over a prolonged period. If you think to acquire anything in heaven, earth, or the cliffotic waters under the earth by any other channels than these, talismanic magic will prove no more use than appeals to rich relations. Talismanic work will give you energy as can be readily understood in the light of the psychology of auto-suggestion. It will also give you opportunity as can only be understood in the light of occult hypotheses, but it cannot enable you to avail yourself of that opportunity by any means save your own capacities. So in essence, what Dean Fortune is saying in that particular quote is, 
talismans will imbue the owner or the person who wears them with this divine energy and also open the doorways of opportunity which will essentially enable you to leverage your inherent or your latent capacities so parts of your personality that you you know you're not necessarily using at the moment and i think of particular significance in the Dion fortune quote is her observation that it is not the talisman that is doing the work but the energy that has been put into the talisman this kind of understanding applies not just to magical talismans but also you know we can think about it from the domain of results driven magic in general talismans and amulets serve as conduits as enhancers which amplify the magician's will and establish pathways for manifestation however without the driving force of willpower and without any determination or work on your particular part to make change then the necessary pathways and kind of magical lucky synchronicities are very much likely to remain elusive which obviously diminishes the talisman's effectiveness so what she's saying is basically if you do magic for money for example you know don't expect to get anything if you just sit on your sofa watching um, tv all day Um, you need to get out there and you know think of ways to make money learn about how to make money um, and and then the opportunities begin to show themselves but you do need to kind of work on these things as well in order for the synchronicities to actually happen in terms of how the sort of physical shapes of talismans there's there's loads of different kind of diversity from that perspective across different cultures throughout history and these have kind of very much been depending on the particular culture and beliefs some commonly known examples that are well known to a lot of us include you know lucky objects for example so these are items traditionally believed to possess the power to ward off evil or harm such as a horseshoe a rabbit's foot or a four-leaf clover we also have sigils as well which are kind of symbols or designs that are really charged with a specific magical property or meaning um, often created by combining letters numbers and other symbolic elements and then written upon a paper or a parchment we also have crystals so there's lots of different traditions of, with regards to crystals gemstones and minerals possessing healing properties protective qualities and also other magical attributes and then you also have mojo bags is another example which small bags filled with herbs crystals and other kind of magical ingredients and they're kind of regarded as being potent vessels for attracting good luck wealth love and and you know other other kind of outcomes the material makeup of talismans and amulets does vary a lot but the thing to remember is their inherent essence remains consistent and that is an intentional creation with a specific purpose in mind for example a talisman might be created to offer protection against negative energy attract love or could be to kind of enhance your spiritual powers for example 
They can be worn as jewellery, so it could be something that people wouldn't even know was a magical object, carried in a pocket or a purse, or even placed in particular locations to manifest a desired result. For example, you even get um, architectural structures that are imbued with talismanic qualities. So if there's an example, the Talisman Gate in the old city of Baghdad um, actually had magical talismanic figures carved into it to act as almost like a protection um, for the city. So it's a talisman or an amulet on a massive scale. But as we said before, irrespective of their physical form, the underlying essence of magical talismans and amulets lies in their deliberate creation and the intention of the magician that is imbued within them. And as we go through this upcoming series, um, looking into their workings, we will kind of unpick more of these that symbolism from that point of view. In terms of how talismans and amulets work, to understand the mechanisms underli underlying the workings of talismans, amulets and charms, um, we really need to look into the concepts that underpin the creation of the universe and also the magical worldview. Typically, occultists and magicians see the universe as being a manifestation of energy that is vibrating at different frequencies and attributing intelligence to this energy as forms the material aspect of a divine entity. And often magicians will also believe that this energy extends you know, beyond the frequencies that we're that physicists are aware of, so going right into that kind of supernatural realm. And whilst there's lots of different magical viewpoints and cosmological maps, um, my main focus in this podcast, anyway, is the Western mystery tradition and the Kabbalah. And in the Kabbalistic framework, the cosmos really consists of four different frequencies or levels across different dimensions of the same space and these four interconnected worlds are Atzeluth which is the archetypal realm we have Bria the creative realm Yetzira the formative realm and Asaya the material realm and all of these four worlds are influencing and interacting with one another so you shouldn't really see of them as being completely separate dimensions they're all kind of almost like layers that are intermingling from that point of view these four worlds form a holistic framework whereby actions or events in one level of creation will then reverberate and connect throughout all of the others. And also these levels align with the realms of the deity, which is kind of the highest godhead, the world of creation, which is Bria, formation, Yetzirah, and then Asaya, which is matter within the Kabbalistic tree of life system. The highest and most elevated level or frequency we can really think of as representing the creative intelligence of the universe. And this is also known as the Supreme God. And this is really where all the ideas in the cosmos originate. 
divine ideas filter down from this level, manifesting as impulses directed towards specific purposes. And according to ancient beliefs, portions of the sacred were specialised at this level, assuming roles as creators and destroyers. So you have these ideas of different um, manifestations of gods and goddesses. They're all representing that divine level, but different aspects. This plan is then further developed at the, the next level down, which is Bria, where we have different aspects of archangels who specialise in bringing various elements of creation into being. And then below that we have angels who are specifically responsible for, for a further step of creation. And then the final step is where this image of the divine that's kind of emerged from the mind of the, the divine artist um, is, is sufficiently powerful enough to manifest on the material plane. And then we also have obviously the elemental beings um, who exist in the in the earthly plane and are really kind of responsible for kind of constructing the image of the divine using the matter and shaping it on a material level. So using those four different worlds, we kind of have this whole level of almost like a manufacturing line really from the highest right the way down. And this process is really well described by the magician and writer William Gray when he wrote the following. These so-called worlds are confusing to students, but they are really nothing more than arbitrary divisions between nothingness and the material universe around us. Out of nothing, everything comes. Whatever power or principle is responsible for such production we call God by some name or another. So much is common to all faiths. The Kabbalist postulates four stages of this continuous process. Origination, creation, formation, expression. These are the four worlds called Atzaluth, Bria, Yetzira and Asaya. Um, the wonderful writer Lon Miley Duquette also explains this concept of the four worlds using the analogy of a chair being made. Um, I can't remember what book this is in, but um, definitely check out his books. In this description, he basically describes the creation of a chair involving several elements. So firstly, there is a plan which represents an archetypal idea existing in the world of Atsaluth. Secondly, the raw, the raw materials necessarily for the chair, which is things like the physical wood, reside in the world of Bria. And thirdly, the tools required to shape the wood, they're encompassing the mental and the emotional energies exist in the world of Yetzira. And then finally, the actual building of the chair takes place in the world of Aziah where the physical wood actually transforms into a physical chair. Another um, magical cosmological viewpoint which is often used by magicians and mystics is the Aristotelian one and this was developed by the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle 
And this cosmological theory states that the universe basically comprises of four fundamental elements. Earth, air, fire and water. And according to Aristotle, the universe consists of concentric spheres with the earth occupying the central position. And each sphere encompasses different celestial phenomena and objects. And this is things like planets, stars and heavenly bodies. The outermost sphere, known as the Empyrean, is really regarded as the dwelling place of divine beings and is kind of like the highest level of purity and immutability. So this kind of the limitless light or the Ein Sof from the kind of Kabbalistic point of view. Aristotle's belief in the Empyrean as the highest and purest aspect of the universe beyond comprehension and yet driving and creatively shaping all creation um, really kind of forms a central foundational concept in his cosmological framework and while certain aspects of Aristotle's of ideas have been disproven by modern science his philosophical approach to understanding the world has left a lasting impact on western thought and culture his theories have contributed to developing disciplines such as metaphysics, philosophy and astronomy, um, influencing lots of thinkers throughout history. And over the centuries, Aristotle's ideas have, have evolved. And in contemporary times, you know, many neo-pagans tend to look at the world or the universe as consisting of the four distinct levels, which are the divine world, the ethereal or astral realm, the elemental realm, and then the material realm. The divine level really kind of denotes the highest and the most transcendent plane of existence. And this is associated with the gods and goddesses of the pantheon. And it's often thought to be beyond direct human experience or comprehension although it's thought that it can be accessed, if only briefly, through prayer, through magical ritual and things like meditation as well. The ethereal level is sometimes seen as, also known as the astral level, is also seen as being this intermediary between the divine and the material. And this is really where you get the realm of the spirits, the angels and other non-physical entities. Then we have the elemental which corresponds to the classical elements so earth, air, fire and water and really represents the level of physical reality closest to our everyday experience and this is this level is often kind of connected with the natural cycles and is kind of imbued with the powers and energies of the elements and then finally we have the material which is the actual physical reality that we inhabit and perceive through our senses and this is the physical world that's governed by the laws of physics and biology and is really kind of the the most limited or constrained level of existence and as i said before similar to with the four worlds of the kabbalists um you know definitions and descriptions of these do vary between different practitioners and traditions 
Um, you know, some people think of them as being completely separate and distinct, while others view them as being kind of more interconnected and more like interdependent aspects of a larger holistic whole. However, kind of irrespective of the model or the viewpoint that we adopt, what does remain evident is that as magicians, when we perform magic, we engage with different levels of reality, uh, whatever name you call them. And we are facilitating the descent of the spiritual into the physical, whilst also elevating the material towards the spiritual. Therefore, a magical talisman or amulet serves as a bridge that establishes connections across these realms. It acts as a conduit, facilitating communication with the original creative divine idea and linking it with various angels, archangels, spirits, elementals. So through this continuous channeling of power from the spiritual to the material, the talisman gradually brings about the desired outcome. The magical talisman or amulet acts as a powerful catalyst that mediates the interactions between where we are on the physical world and the higher realms and harnesses those forces. In terms of how the process of actually how to ensure that a talisman is potent and is a suitable conduit or bridge um, across these different levels. Um, the magician would normally design it to resonate with specific energies they want to attract or invoke. So, for example, talismans and amulets can be shaped and coloured in accordance with specific planetary correspondences or Kabbalistic correspondences. They may incorporate different divine and archangelic names, spirit names, sigils, and also they may be crafted during specific planetary days, hours, or also astrologically significant events. And um, if you want to find out more about the hours, then you know check out the recent episode we did on magical timing. And you can also find out more about the astrological elements if you listen to our series on astrological magic. With talismans and amulets, personalization is also pretty common. So magicians would normally tailor the magical object to the individual's needs and desires. So for example, a talisman for good luck, if you're doing it for someone else, could incorporate that person's name. Uh, a birth date or a favourite colour um, to align it with specific astrological, cabalistic or magical correspondences. Also amulets for protection could feature symbols or images with personal meaning and these correspondences essentially act as keys that unlock the powers of different spiritual levels and really the goal is to ensure a clear connection when the magician charges or activates the talisman. Once the talisman or amulet is created using the right materials, it is then charged or empowered through a specific ritual or a ceremony. And this process usually involves consecrating the object and infusing it with energy 
through prayer, through meditation, could be through dance or spiritual practices. And you can kind of think about this empowerment almost to, almost like the birthday of the talisman or amulet, as it involves imbuing the physical matter, the inert matter of the talisman with potent magical divine energy through the magician's force of will. And in his excellent book, Talismanic Magic, um, Nick Farrell talks about this as well. And he draws a really fascinating parallel between creating a talisman and Dr. Frankenstein's act of giving life to an inanimate object. So just as Frankenstein's creation needed a powerful spark of life, I think he uses lightning in the actual story, the creation of a talisman needs to have a surge of divine energy to vitalize it, to bring it to life, to empower it, so it's going to carry out its intention. Um, Nick Farrell writes, Like Dr. Frankenstein, you've created an object that has all the potential to be alive. What is needed is a lightning bolt of divine energy that can jolt every cell to life. To do this, we are going to use ritual. So rituals occupy an important place in this process of birthing and creating the talisman. And the act of performing rituals can really be thought of as something similar to tapping into the boundless energy of macrocosmic forces or the divine power. And the power within the talisman is really amplified by the power that's generated in the ritual. So you want to try and generate as much power as possible. As I mentioned before, symbols would normally be etched into the magician's subconscious mind through these rituals. And you can use these keys to unlock you know, lots of different power within the cosmos. Normally with talismans, a particular consecration ritual would be performed. And there's lots of different variations to this to really create the perfect conditions for the infusion of life. So this is very much like a divine lightning flash that animates what was formerly an inanimate object and brings it into its magical power, into its magical life. The magician W.E. Butler um, describes this process really nicely when he wrote the following. The magical ritual regards the physical base of the talisman as being in its own way an expression of the imminent life, but as also being contaminated by the mixed emanations from other life forms of all grades of consciousness. So, like his Catholic brother, he first exorcises the object. This is to say, he expels the heterogeneous magnetisms it has accumulated. Then, he recharges it with his own magnetism, and according to the work which it has to perform, he aligns it with the appropriate grade of being on the inner levels. So again, he's talking about this connection between the physical and the inner realms. He's clearing out the, the negative stuff. Uh, you could almost think of it as almost like a baptism of the talisman or exorcism. And then 
So it's like a blank slate, and then you're charging it with a specific intention, using your magnetism, but also using the power of the inner planes. It could be a specific archangel or a particular planetary spirit, so that it's aligned with the, your intention. So while some may dismiss the belief in talismans and amulets as superstitious, or people might say, oh, they don't work, you know, etc. When you create them with precision and intention and you really focus on creating them, they do have a lot of power and they can really make a massive difference in your life. Whether we look at them as being tools for manifestation or reminders of our intentions or other things, Magical talismans and omelets can offer a really powerful means of connecting with life's spiritual but also mystical um, dimensions. That's all we've got time for today. However, in the next episode, we will continue this discussion on magical talismans by looking at the magical talismans and amulets of the prehistoric times and also the world of shamans and animism and kind of discussing a bit of the you know, where did some of these ideas come from? I hope you've enjoyed this episode and please feel free to reach out to me if you've got any questions. I wanted to finish the episode with a poem by the Russian poet Alexander Pushkin called The Talisman. Where the sea forever dances over lonely cliff and dune, where sweet twilight's vapour glances in a warmer glowing moon, where with Seraglio's graces, day-long toys the Mussulman, an enchantress mid-embraces handed me a talisman. Mid-embraces I was bidden, guard this talisman of mine, in it secret power is hidden, love himself has made it thine. Neither death nor ills nor ageing, my beloved does it ban, nor in gales and tempest raging can avail my talisman. Never will it help thee gather treasures of the Orient coast, neither to thy harness tether captives of the prophet's host, nor in sadness will it lead thee to a friendly bosom nor from this alien southland speed thee to the native northern shore. But whenever eyes designing cast on thee a sudden spell, in the darkness lips entwining, lovely not but kiss too well, shield thee love from evil praying, from new heart wounds that is it can, from forgetting, from betraying, guards thee this my talisman. Thank you.